this Lord's Day to cultivate among us a zeal, a passion, a willingness with purpose in heart to share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ with those who God brings into our lives. I believe one of the greatest preachers besides the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the greatest, was the Apostle Paul. His love for Christ, his commitment to the church, his zeal for God's word keeps me hanging on with amazement as I read through the epistles of Paul, which are divinely inspired by God throughout the New Testament churches. His strong doctrinal truths, his rhetorical questions, his love for evangelism, his commitment to the church has caused me a desire this morning to take a look under the hood of the Apostle Paul's life and to see what drove the heart of this man of God to such a testimony of a life sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, and we take a look under the hood of the Apostle Paul's life, it is my prayer that whatever pulsated through his veins would pulsate through ours. And whatever caused his life to be sold out to Christ and the gospel would do the same for us. Let us pray. Your gracious Father, we all, Lord God, have experienced your grace and your mercy and your love towards us. We all, Lord God, have a testimony and a witness in this world. Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word, through the truth that you have given us, Lord God, that you would prick our hearts, Lord God, that you would give us an energy outside of ourselves, Lord God, to share the life-changing truth of the gospel of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In the Apostle Paul's opening chapter to the Romans, he stated that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Few statements can equal this in importance. Paul understood both the priority and the importance of the gospel message. It is the preaching of the gospel that God has ordained men and women to hear the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit and to be brought into saving faith in Jesus Christ. I would like you to please open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. You'll find that passage on page 1338 in the Bible in front of you in the pew. Today's message is titled, Driven by the Gospel. I would like to ask you to please stand as I read the Word of God. Thank you. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You may be seated. Thank you. These three verses uh, we will be looking at this morning are known as the three great I am's 
by the Apostle Paul. We see in verse 14, I am under obligation. In verse 15, I am eager. And in verse 16, I am not ashamed. It is my desire today that God would write these verses upon our hearts and give us a desire to say what the Apostle says here in this passage before us. Whether you are married, single, a housewife, businessman, a student, a laborer, a child, whether you're wealthy or poor, whatever circumstances or situations you find yourself today, this message is for every one of us here today. The Apostle Paul says, I am under obligation, or in some translations it says, I am a debtor to God's mercy and to his grace. I am eager, and again, some translations say, I am ready to share Christ and the saving message to others. I am not ashamed, willing to suffer persecution from my family, friends, co-workers, even my own mother and father, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is in the gospel where the power of God is revealed to those who believe. So let us take a look at this passage today. And by God's grace and for his glory, apply these truths of God's word into our hearts and minds as we follow him. Point number one on your outline. We read from Paul in verse 14. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, or some translations would say unwise. What Paul is saying here is I have to. I am under obligation, and let me clarify this for one minute. Paul was not under obligation because of his sin or earning some kind of merit or favor with God. He was under obligation because of the grace and the mercy that God had shown him in Christ. You see, before we are saved, we are under obligation, or if you will, debtors to God because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion towards him. We are under God's wrath and justly and rightly guilty before a perfect and holy God. But when Christ came to this earth and he lived the life that you and me could not live on our own and he kept the law of God perfectly on our behalf and he shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and satisfied the wrath of God which we deserved, our certificate of debt was paid in full once and for all time. You talk about walking in joy. What a blessing that is to know Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him, God made Christ who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 says, But God demonstrates his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having 
now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. This is the gospel message. This is the good news for every one of us here today. Paul knew there was no way of earning salvation. He knew it was a free gift from God according to his mercy and grace. And yet, in response to God's great love for him and his unconditional, unmerited favor towards him, Paul had an earnest desire within his heart to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to serve him with a heart, catch this, overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. You see, Christians don't follow Jesus Christ and walk in obedience because it's a burden or it's something that we have to do. We do it because we love the one who died for us. We give our lives to the one who gave his life for us. And it's out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness that we follow Christ, that we obey his law. It's not a burden. It's not a religion with do's and don'ts. It is a heart that's overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude as we follow the one who gave his life for us on the cross. Paul expresses this sense of indebtedness to God to tell others about the mercy and the grace he had received in Christ. Paul was under obligation to those around him and wherever God had sent him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like to ask you a question this morning. Where is your ministry? You know, I'm an elder here at New Village Church, and yes, there's a lot of aspects of ministry here, but my ministry is at work. That's where I live the gospel in front of those around me. That's where I pray for the men that God has surrounded me. That's the where I try to share Christ and use those opportunities because why? Because I love them. And I want them to know my Lord and my Savior and to have that same joy and peace that comes from my heart. Where is your ministry? God has us all over the place. He has us in law offices, in schools, on soccer fields, at construction sites, in in grocery markets. He has us all over. His body is everywhere. I hope and pray that we would be like Paul. And wherever God has us, wherever the most of our time of our life is spent, use that time as a ministry to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me use an illustration here uh, to clarify this even more. If I entrusted my daughter Michelle with $1 million, I know you would say that's crazy, and I told her to take that money and give it to a particular people in whom I had a special love for, and pay their debts in full. As long as Michelle has that money in her possession, which is not hers, she is under obligation to me, whose money it is. And she is also under obligation to those who I told her to give the money to and pay off their debts. In a tremendously larger way. The gospel of Jesus Christ was given to us by God. As we believed upon Christ 
and received him by faith as our Lord and Savior. God had entrusted to us this all-glorious gospel and commanded us to share it with those who he puts in our lives. And for the rest of our Christian lives, we are under obligation. We are debtors. We have something that isn't ours, and we are told by God to go out there and give it to others. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there needs to be a necessity upon each one of our lives to share the good news, this gospel message with those who God puts in our lives. Each one of us has this fear of influence in our lives. God has given each one of us in this body special gifts. Some here have different gifts than I have and vice versa. And yet God uses them to accomplish His ministry on this earth. Paul says, I am under obligation to live in such a way as to express my thankfulness to the one who saved my soul from the pit of hell. And Paul would now spend the rest of his life telling others the gospel of Jesus Christ. He found himself at a point of obligation. He had to now. There was a necessity now placed upon his life. Paul understood this indebtedness to God and his obligation to others. There was an urgency now upon his life. I hope and pray we too would have this desire sown within our hearts as we reflect back upon the grace and the mercy we too have experienced in Christ. As the Apostle Paul uh, sensed this kind of obligation to God in his life, we too need to as well. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter what your job title is, you don't need to be a preacher or a missionary for these truths to speak directly to you today. There should be a necessity in each one of our lives to share the life-changing gospel with others. The power of this gospel delivers people from being lost in their sins. Matthew 18, verse 11. From the wrath of God, Romans 5, verse 8. From willful spiritual ignorance, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. And from the darkness of false religions, Colossians 1, verse 3. The gospel rescues sinners from the ultimate penalty of their sins, separation from God and eternal damnation. Romans 6, verse 23. And we who know these truths are under the same obligation as Paul. We who are debtors to God's mercy and grace should have this have-to in our lives as well. Paul says in verse 14 that he is under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. The Greeks were people of many different nationalities who embraced the Greek culture, language, and education. They were the sophisticated elite of Paul's day. And because of these reasons, they were considered the wise of that day. And because of the prevalence to the Greek culture, Paul would sometimes use the word Greeks to describe all Gentiles. On the other hand, the name barbarians was a term coined by the Greeks for those who were not trained in the Greek language or culture, 
They were considered the uncultured, uneducated masses of their day. It was said by the Greeks that these people, when they would speak, would sound like bar, bar, bar. So in turn, they called them barbarians. All non-Greeks who were Gentiles were considered the foolish and unwise of the world. And Paul's point in using this phrase was to instruct us that God is no respecter of persons. The gospel message must reach both the world's elite as well as its outcasts, both the wise and the foolish. You see, a person can gain all the wisdom and knowledge that this world has to offer. And yet, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, the Scriptures would call them a fool. Paul had an obligation to God to to fulfill his divine mandate and to minister to the entire Gentile nation. I would like to conclude my first point by saying we need to identify ourselves with the Apostle Paul and feel his heartbeat and sense his indebtedness to God and obey this great commission of God. Point number two. In verse 15 we read, I am eager. Now this goes on further than our first point. Paul says, I have to in verse 14. And now he says in verse 15, I want to. This wasn't just an obligation the Apostle Paul had, but a desire within his heart and soul. He was eager. He wanted to. So we read in verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to draw your attention to this word also in this text. This word also implies to us that wherever Paul was, he was eager, he was ready to preach the gospel and tell others the good news of salvation. My hope today is that we would share in this eagerness, this want to in our lives, to share Christ with others. So many believers today sense this obligation to God, this necessity in their souls to share this precious treasure of the gospel with others. However, when it comes to this readiness and this willingness, it's nowhere to be found. Why is this? Well, I I put down some reasons of where I thought maybe people are reluctant and hold back and not sharing Christ with others. Some feel unequipped uh, to share Christ or, or afraid of, of people. Here are some things I do. Uh, they may help you to get past some of these things. Uh, where my workplace is, in my truck, there's times I will leave something out on the dashboard. And when people get in my truck, they notice I don't have Um, you know, Howard Stern on. I don't have uh, uh, magazines all over my dashboard, but they'll see a Bible and they may see a track sitting up there. I put those out there to stir conversation. Maybe that person may grab and say, oh, oh, you religious? it's 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 a way of getting in. And why is it? Because I love them. Because I want them to know Christ. Our lives are a testimony of the gospel. As we live our lives, the gospel needs to be seen in our lives. 
God's love, God's mercy, His grace, His patience, His long-suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit should be on display as those around us interact with us. These are some natural ways that we can put forward in our lives to, for that person around us, that neighbor, that, that person on the soccer field, uh, maybe sees you carrying a book and it, it has God on it and it's something that you're reading. And they say, hey, what are you reading? Just try to find a way to have something out where people can see it and start a conversation with them and make sure your heart is right doing it. Make sure that it, you're doing this in discernment, that you're, that you're doing it in a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. Make sure you're doing it out of a love for that person. Um, some people, on the other hand, are not walking in the spirit of Christ. Their prayer life is suffering. They're not in God's word on a regular basis. And the things of this world are drawing them away from the things of Christ. You know, there's times in my walk where two or three months will go by on the job, and I'll say, you know what, I haven't shared Christ with nobody. I haven't shared Christ with nobody. The first place I start is right here. And I pray and I ask God, what's going on in my life, Lord? Are things in my life becoming so important to me and you're not? Am I desiring to share the gospel? Am I willing? Am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I examine my own heart first. And then God is so gracious as there's repentance and forgiveness and there's restoration. All of a sudden I find myself a week later, God will bring somebody in my path and I'll share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ with them and God will bless me. So if you find yourself in that time period, that season in your life, spend some time with the Lord. Ask Him to reveal to you what is hindering you from being used by Him because God will not use a dirty vessel. There needs to be repentance of sin and there needs to be restoration with God. So then He will use us as as vessels filled with His glory, like light shining in darkness. Whatever the circumstances in our life, I want to challenge you and encourage you to make this a priority in your Christian life. We need to be prepared to share the gospel with others. What I mean is that we need to be walking in the Spirit of Christ and have intimate time with the Lord in our lives. This is where it starts. You know, I was at the men's, uh, men's ministry meeting on Saturday morning, and my brother Walter brought us the Word of God. And I was filled with truth and fellowship with other men of God. I uh, met with Tim on Wednesday night, and we talked about serving God and the gospel and, and how to be used for ministry in this church. I have a growth group every first and third Sunday of every month. And we are journaling through the New Testament. We're in God's Word every day, reading one chapter a day and ver journaling a verse out. You see, when we're in God's Word and we're in fellowship with God's people and we're in prayer with God, this intimacy, this communion we have with God pours out of us. It flows out of us. This will help you 
to accomplish the great commission that the Lord has given us. That when you're close to him, you have a desire to share him. We need to have an integrity of life about ourselves as well. Just as in the book of Acts, with the birth of the church and the apostolic age, there needs to be validation of the message and the messenger. May those around us see Christ and the gospel live before them, whether at work, home, or in a sports field. You know, most kids that grow up in a Christian home get to see the gospel and Jesus Christ lived out by their parents every day. This is where faith becomes genuine. You know, our kids can't be fooled. They live in our houses. They see the way we live our lives. They see what consumes us. They see what drives us. This is the greatest testimony and a witness. This is where the gospel needs to be preached every single day, is in our homes. And the gospel needs to be lived before our children every day. Whatsoever we do, the Bible says, whether in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. May your yes be yes and your no be no. This is the readiness, the want to, that needs to be in our lives. Each one of us has this great responsibility and great opportunity to make an impact for Christ wherever the Lord has us. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 16, right? Let your light so shine upon men that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We need to put God's word and God's work as a priority in our lives. Please turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. God's word says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The English word for apologetics comes from the Greek word defense. The Apostle Paul is insisting that believers follow the Lord Jesus Christ and understand what they believe and why they believe it. We must be able to defend the truth of God's word and point people to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I know when I um, get approached by the Jehovah Witnesses, that's my first question. What is your good news? What is the hope that I have? We have a hope, a living hope, and it is Jesus Christ our Lord. This eagerness to share the gospel with others motivated and drove the heart of the Apostle Paul. May it be our prayer today that it would motivate us as well. We need to ask ourselves these questions. Am I eager? Am I prepared? Is it the desire of my heart to share the gospel with others? Each one of us needs to spend time with the Lord, intimacy with Christ, and examine our lives in light of these precious truths 
in God's Word. Point number three. Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What Paul is saying here is, not only do I have to, and I want to, but I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. Now, why would Paul say this? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because Paul understood what me and you understand. That when you take a stand for Christ with your family, your friends, with those at work, and openly identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be people who will reject you and mock you and insult you and openly persecute you. Paul had given up what he thought that everyone would expect him to be and wanted him to be. He was going to follow Christ and preach his good news to everyone around him. Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi, Acts 16.23, chased out of Thessalonica, Acts 17.10, smuggled out of Berea, Acts 17, verse 14, laughed at in Athens, Acts 17, 32, regarded as a fool in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 32, and stoned in Galatia and left for dead in Acts 14, 19. But he remained eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Neither ridicule, criticism, or physical persecution would stop Paul from sharing the gospel in Rome. Here are two reasons out of many why I believe Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, because of the strength of the gospel. Notice what it says in verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Well, that takes a lot off my back. It's not about my clever wording. It's not about the situations I try to find myself in. The power is not me. It is the words of God that change the heart and turn the heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. This word power in the Greek is the same word dynamite that we get in the English language. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul understood that no man or woman can change themselves. There is only one way that we can be changed from the inside out, and that is through the most powerful message we have in this world, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to change hearts. It has the power to change marriages. It has the power to change the alcoholic, the drug addict, the sexual uh, homosexual, the idolater. It has the power to change one's eternal destiny. There is only one message that has enough power to go into the city of Rome or any other place where it's proclaimed. 
and make an impact in the lives of the people, changing them from slaves to sin to servants to Christ. When this gospel is received by faith into one's heart, it explodes like dynamite, and that person is never the same again. Amen? I mean, this is what I know I experienced in my life. I was living this direction. I was going this way. I had all my thoughts. I had everything going on in my life. And what happened? I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it it stopped me dead in my tracks. And it caused me to turn and to look on who I truly was and who God truly was. And I see myself as a sinner in the need of a Savior. And I came running to the cross and begged God for His mercy and His forgiveness. And Jesus saved me. And He gave me a new heart. He gave me a joy that that goes beyond any circumstances or situations I have in my life. It rises above everything because the Spirit of the living God is in me. And as I live my life, I live it to Christ. This is the testimony and the witness we all have who have come to faith in Christ. We need to tell others the good news, the new heart that we have received, the spirit that lives within us. We have to become, as we become sensitive to sin through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how God has taken fear and given us peace. He has taken bitterness and anger and has given us joy. He has taken prejudices and given us a love for all people. How we enjoy the things of God in our lives. Worshiping God, serving Him, and walking with Him in our daily lives. How quick we are to forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. This is the transforming effect of the gospel. And this is our greatest witnessing tool out in this world that we live in. Reason number two, because of the simplicity of the gospel message. It is offered to everyone who will believe by faith alone in Christ alone. There is nothing you need to earn or prove for salvation. Everyone may receive the gospel by having a godly sorrow over their sin, repenting and believing upon Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's not years of of things you need to do and accomplish to get to a certain point, and then even then you really don't know for sure whether you're accepted or not with God and whether you're going to go to heaven or not. All believers know we're going to heaven because of what He did for us on the cross. You see, our hope is not in us. It's in Him. Our trust is not in what we do, but what He did on the cross for us. This is the confidence we have. This is the boldness we have. Take this out and live it in this world. In John chapter 9, verse 30, Jesus said from the cross, It is finished. As He hung from the cross, bearing the wrath of God for us. Jesus has already done all the work, living the life that we could not live, fulfilling the law perfectly, shedding his blood, and he rose from the grave and intercedes on our behalf. 
Wow. He didn't leave nothing for us to do. This is why when we follow Christ, we follow him out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness because he has done everything for us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And when Paul states the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he is referring not only to the deliverance from the guilt of sin and its eternal consequences, but also from the power and dominion over our lives. Paul further emphasizes this in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. This verse makes it clear that when these believers came into the experience of salvation, they were not only justified, which means declared righteous before God, but they were sanctified, which results in a newness of life. The dominion of sin is broken and replaced with a pattern of obedience and a pursuit of holiness in one's life. You see, we can't just stop at the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Christ died to do all of this for us, and everything about the gospel message inevitably leads us to this end. Please turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. God's word says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. This is what the gospel does. This is the victory we have over sin in our lives. Jesus Christ broke the chains of sin. We need to walk in that victory that Christ has won for us at the cross. Point number four. Gospel application. If you are here today and you have never heard the gospel preached or understood it or understood anything that we've talked about this morning, 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus Christ says these words concerning seeking salvation and all the blessings that would come to those who would believe in him. Jesus says to the people gathered before him, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that we talked about today will be added unto you. You see, we live in a day where everybody is seeking everything but Jesus Christ. They're seeking wealth. They're seeking great jobs. They're seeking a good golf swing. They're seeking uh, cars. They're seeking promotion. And all, you know, there's a lot of good things we can seek in life. But what Jesus is saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, put that first. And then all these other things that you're, that you're working towards and you're struggling towards and you're dealing with, they will come. And they will come by God's grace and his mercy. But for, put first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is the righteousness of Christ? It is his perfect life that he lived. Think about it. This is what got me. I'm driving in the car. I hear the gospel. I'm on the way to a bar to see my friends after a 3 to 11 shift. So it's about 1130 at night. We used to have a couple drinks, catch up on the scores and go home. And, uh, I'm driving in the car, and I heard the gospel. And this guy said that uh, all my good works were nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. That caused me to pull over. <laughs> What's this guy talking about? Because I was a guy that really tried good works. I shoveled my neighbor's driveway. I honored my mother and father. I worked hard from 13 years old. I was doing everything my father taught me to do as a man. They were nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. What does that mean? Then he shared the gospel. And I listened to it. And I realized this one thing. I said, how can, why would Jesus come to this earth, be nailed to the cross, shed his blood? Why would God the Father give his son and nail him to the cross if there was any way at all that any, not even one person on this earth could earn favor with God, if there was any way that even one person on the face of this earth could earn favor with God, why would have God sent his only beloved son and nailed him to the cross for me? I realized that my religion was, was not true. That it was not going to be on something that I did. And that evening, I asked Jesus into my heart, I put my trust and my faith and my hope in his work on the cross for my salvation. What a blessing. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It stops you dead in your tracks. It stops you in the direction you're going. It makes you examine you the truth of who you are and who he is. And it causes you to turn in repentance and faith into Jesus Christ. My last point, point number five, the gospel challenge. And, and there's one other thing I want to say concerning that before I go ahead. There's a verse that I love, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We all love it. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. That verse speaks to salvation. It speaks to God taking one creation and making it into a new creation. The old things pass away. I'm so glad I don't have those old things in my life no more. And the new things have become new. We're a new creation in Christ when we accept Jesus as our Lord, when we repent of our sins and we trust him with our lives. You see, the cross is where God's sovereignty and man's responsibility come crashing together at the foot of the cross, where God's love and his mercy and his grace are given to the sinner. And the sinner stands before a holy God and repents and asks Jesus Christ into his life. It's a powerful time. But the gospel is powerful because it is the power of God to salvation. Point number five, the gospel challenge. This is for those of us here who know Christ and have committed our lives to Christ. In the book of Joshua, chapters three and four, we read about the Israelites crossing the River Jordan into the promised land. Joshua told the Israelites to what? Consecrate themselves before the Lord. You know, the reason I brought this text into this is because I said, you know what? For me to go out into this world and share the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think I need to consecrate myself before the Lord. I need to get things right before God. I need to confess sin. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to, to, to spend more time with the Lord and, and, and build my, my faith and strength in Him and trust in Him and then go out there. So here's Joshua and he's telling the people of God to consecrate themselves before they go into the promised land. So the, the um, priests, they, they grab the Ark of the Covenant and they, they step into the waters of the River Jordan and they stop. See, God always goes before us. You see, the ark was the presence of God, and they put it in the river, and the water stopped. God doesn't ask us to go out there without going there with us and before us. The people crossed the river that day, and they went into the promised land. And God told Joshua that where the priests were standing with the ark of the covenant to take 12 stones and to place them in the promised land, and to set them up as a testimony to God's faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness towards them. To be a memorial for them, their children, and for generations to come. This was something that they could see in their lives and draw upon it. I believe in a, in a different way, God has given each one of us who know Christ memorial stones in our lives. Times that we can look back to see where God's faithfulness and His goodness and His kindness and His strength was upon us. Maybe it's the day that you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord. Maybe it's the day you took communion for the first time in a Christian church. Maybe it's the time that you got baptized and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know for me, one of the living stone, the memorial stones in my life is a day that I was at work. And for weeks after getting saved, I was around the same guys and they were talking about the same stuff. And I was, now I have this conviction of sin. I'm not comfortable where I'm at. 
yet I'm still in the background listening to this stuff, and I know I really shouldn't be there. So the following night, I sat in my truck, and I read the Bible. And God put this verse right in my face. Mark 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thank you, Lord. I needed that verse right between the eyes. Well, the following night, I'm around the guys again, same kind of conversation again, and I stopped them. I said, guys, listen. I used to talk like this. This stuff's offensive to God. You're going to have to give an account for this. He knows every thought. He holds every word. You guys need Christ. And I shared Jesus and what he did on the cross for us that night. Well, I, I got laughed at. I got mocked. I, you know, they had fun with me. Well, two years later, one of those men out of the four came to faith, faith in Jesus Christ. So we don't know how God is going to use that out there. We just need to be willing. We just need to be eager. We just need to the want to in our lives. So today, as I bring this message to a close, I would like to say that we need to identify ourselves with this man of God, the Apostle Paul. We need to hide these words in our heart. I am under obligation. I am eager. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This summer, God will give us countless opportunities to share the gospel and to be a witness for Christ. May we today check under the hood of our lives and see what is driving us and motivating us. Are we committed to the gospel that saved us? Are we driven with compassion for the lost? May all in this house be driven by the Lord Jesus Christ.